Whatever your payment plans, Visa, the world's leader in digital payments, is on hand with the expertise, programs, solutions, and partner networks to help make it happen. Bring your big idea to life. Partner with Visa to do it bigger and faster. Visit visa.co.uk slash fintech. Back to the notion that you said of authenticity, stay authentic. And I think the power is in being able to say no to more things than it is to being able to say yes. Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast, bringing you ideas and insights from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing and Commercial Officer here at 11FS. I'm on a mission, as you know by now, to learn how the world's hottest fintech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern-day marketing. Today's guest is Carla Hassan, Chief Marketing Officer at City. Carla, thanks so much for speaking to us today. How are you? How's New York? I'm doing really well. New York feels like it's kind of coming back, you know, so uh, the sun is shining, the weather's getting better. I, I don't know. I feel, I feel, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty optimistic. Amazing. Well, really looking forward to our chat. Really appreciate you making the time. Let's dive into it. Let's do it. So first question, what are you super excited about in the world of marketing right now? Oh, look, there's so much to be excited about in the world of marketing right now. I think for me, um, what I'm probably most excited about right now is to see that companies are um, increasingly recognizing that focusing on social purpose and operating in the best interests of society is is critical to the business. Whereas before, I think these things were seen more as sitting to the side. Now, I think people are really recognizing that having a strong purpose, having a strong brand, and marrying that with strong marketing, performance marketing, is actually critical to the business. You know, I, I look at it in the way that it's manifested over the last several months, at least in part, I think, in companies using their brand voice a little bit more to take stands on issues that matter to whether it's their employees or their clients or their communities. Yeah. And I just think, you know, what I'm excited about is that that marketers are starting to say, how do we use our balance sheet for good? And how do we marry all the elements of marketing together now to drive the business forward? So I think it's really, really exciting yeah. from that perspective. I, I totally agree, and I love that you brought that up. It's also something that I'm very excited and obsessed with right now. And I think that yeah. you know, for a few years now, you've had brands led by marketers who really believed in it, right? You at City have have had that baked into what you do for a while, or so it seems from an outsider. But of course, we'll talk about that. But I think the difference yep. now is that the market is asking for it. And the brands that do it are seeing the upside commercially. And the Correct. brands that don't, I think, are becoming more vulnerable and seeing the negative results from it. So 100%. that's the thing that I'm excited about. It's not just the people who are ahead of the curve. It's now starting to be something that everybody needs to be considering and figuring out how to do. Yeah. You know, I liken it to when we used to talk about diversity and inclusion years and years and years ago, and it always kind of sat to the side. and Or even, you know, corporate social responsibility it kind of sat to the side. It was like, that's great that those people over there and the company are doing that. I liken it to that, right? The moment where people used to say, oh, having a purpose and using your brand for good it was is a nice to have, but it's not going to drive the business. And now we're seeing it actually drive the business. We're seeing all the data that says there's a tipping point where people are using their dollars or whatever currency it is. The consumers are using their wallets to vote for what brands they want to bring into their lives based on not 
not just the offers and the innovation and the products and services that a brand offers, but certainly the purpose and the beliefs and the values of that brand. And that's probably what I'm most excited about is that we no longer can bifurcate this notion of performance marketing and brand marketing. We're bringing them together to drive the business. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Amazing. Well, let's bookmark that and come back to it because I want to talk about what you're doing from the city brand, but then also you personally have been involved in in so many good things and positive change in the industry. So let's come back to that. But would love to talk a little bit about your story. Have such an amazing story. You've done so many amazing things. Uh, help our audience get to know you a little bit. Give us the uh, one to two minute origin story of Carla. Yeah, well, I, look, I'm a pretty, I, I feel like I'm a pretty simple person, but maybe I'm not. You know, the more I tell my story, the more I think through like all the different things that I kind of went through to, to, to get to where I am. And, and the, the reality is I lived a, a pretty, you know, privileged upbringing. I was born in Lebanon. I was raised in the United Arab Emirates back before, you know, now you say I was raised in Dubai and people go, Oh, that's on my bucket list before it was like, Dubai, where's that? You know, what state is that in? And, it's and then you were so much. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> right? You would tell them it's in the Persian Gulf and people would say like, well, did you go to school on camels? I mean, legitimately, that is the questions that I got asked. But I think the thing that probably colors my journey from a really early age is that we did, you know, I was born in Lebanon, but we left Lebanon because of the civil war early on. And I grew up in Dubai, but we left Dubai. You know, we were, you know, early 1990s. My family and I were spending the summer in Colorado and Iraq invaded Kuwait. And my parents made the decision not to go back to Dubai, which is where we were living. And I was going to graduate from high school. And, you know, you can imagine a pretty traumatic experience mm. for, for a teenager. And, but I would tell you that, you know, those experiences, certainly not the first one, because I think I was too young, but, but definitely the, the second one really kind of colored who I am because, you know, the reality is uh, I am, I am an immigrant to the U.S. And, you know, that sort of part of me, as well as me being an Arab inherently kind of shapes who I am as a person. It shapes who I am as a marketer, as a leader. And so, you know, it, it's been an interesting journey being in the U.S. because I, I definitely consider myself a woman of color. I am a woman of color, but I, I don't necessarily come off as one when people look at me. Mm. And so I just think that when I first moved to the U.S., interestingly enough, I leaned into that actually as a way to assimilate and not be, you know, unlike the others, right? And so, but then moving forward, you know, probably like five years ago, I started thinking to myself, wait a minute you know, this is who you are and you're kind of hiding yourself. And, and, and as a result of that, you're not, you know, you're not bringing your best self to work or to anything you do. And so I feel like, you know, I talk a lot now about being able to look back on those experiences, all of them, the good, the bad, the ugly that have led me to where I am and say, those are the things that shape me. But I would tell you, like getting to this point in my career, you know, as an immigrant, there's no, there's no room for failure. You know, you you have an entire family behind you that you want to make proud of you. And, you know, where am I going to go back to, right? Like, so for me, it's really, really important that, it, and it always has been, that I mm. do the best I can, not just for myself, but because I'm representing a whole kind of legion of folks, if you will. And so really, it was really, really important for me. And so I, I'd end by telling you that for me, it becomes really, really important now. Um, and I talk about about this a lot because I think the experiences I've had have really kind of helped me deepen human connection with people. And so I, I talk a lot about how you can't just you know, open one door one day, pretend you're somebody else, close the door behind you, go to a different place and you're a different person. I think you just have to be authentically who you are. And I just wish that 
people took the time when I first got to the U.S. to really know who I was and kind of appreciate that. And so that's why I feel like empathy is just, it's such a, you know, underrated kind of leadership trait. And so for me, all of those things, all of those moments have shaped who I am today to get me to this moment. There's so much in there. I feel like we could talk for an hour just on what you just said. But (laughs) I mean, one, I'm sure that won't be the last time we use the word empathy because it's something that's so top of mind for me and I think applies not just across the leadership and management side of who a modern CMO needs to be, but also from a brand perspective and what I think a modern brand needs to be and how it needs to have empathy for the audience they're trying to reach. And it ties into everything about purpose and what we talked about and what we'll go into. You naturally went in the direction of the question I was thinking of asking you, so I'd love to double-click on this. We're going to talk about what City has done from a brand perspective, but you as a leader and a manager, mm-hmm. I was going to ask you how your experience shaped who you are, but you kind of already touched on that. But maybe more tactically, I think a lot of you know marketing directors, CMOs are thinking about how they build and the importance of building diversity into their team. How do you think about that and how have you gone about that? Because I think maybe coming from your perspective, that's probably been a a priority for you for a while. And I'm curious how you go about it and the impact you've seen from having that perspective, building teams and being a leader. It's a great question, Eric. And I would tell you that the short answer to how I've gone about it is deliberately I mean, it is really, really is like, it's just that one word. Um, And I think, you know, folks say it's hard and it's this and it's that, and it can be if you're not deliberate about it. If I'm like, I am, uh, you know, unabashed, unashamed about the fact that we have to have a team that represents the customers that we have in the outside world, period, right? It's better for business. And I've started to, like, every time I build those kinds of teams, I notice the way that they interact with each other versus when I had, you know, teams that were more, you know, homogenous. But you have to be deliberate about it. You have to go out and say, like, here are the types of people that I'm going to gather almost around me. They all have to be skilled. They all have to be good at what they do, right? So let's start there in terms of skill sets. But I do think that getting people with different perspectives, and by the way, it's not necessarily just, you know, the sort of, um, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound wrong, but the usual suspects. And what I mean by that is it's not just making sure that we go find people on our team that are in the Black community or in the Latino community or in the AAPI community, but it's also people that may have different sexual orientation. It's also people like myself, for example, who you may not think is different at all, but my experiences are so (laughs) tremendously different. And I bring, you know, something to the table as well. And so from my perspective, you just have to say, here are the collection of amazing, talented people that I want at my table. And um, I've seen it. I've seen things be different as a result of it. And they impact the business better because, you know, you'll you'll be sitting around a table and you'll have four or five people who are saying exactly the same thing. And then you have, you know, when you have only one person that has a different perspective because they come from somewhere different, it's going to be harder for them to break that inertia, right, of the conversation. If you've got two or three people that are sitting around a table and they're hearing a different perspective than what they think, if they jump in and go, hold on a second, here's my perspective, and someone else goes, yeah, I agree with that, there's power in the numbers, and and that conversation becomes more rich. So I think you just have to be deliberate about it. Yeah. That's my mantra. I totally agree. And the way that I say it is, 
what gets prioritized gets done. Totally. And I think it's the same type of endpoint to what you were saying of like, it might be hard. And it also depends on where you sit. You know, I spent 10 years in the ad agency world and that was hard. But, you know, being in a fintech company where we're building out big teams of engineers, from a DNI perspective, that can be even harder. Right. But you will only make progress if you prioritize something. And so I think it has to start there. I totally. And I'll add to that. And if you measure it. Yeah. Right. Like, because if you tell people, look, every quarter we are going to take a look at our numbers. And you know, it's not numbers for numbers sake, but it really is numbers so that we can make sure that we have a broader representation in order to have impact on the business. Then I think people are more likely to kind of go, oh, wait, I'm being measured for this. Like this could have impact on me personally. So how do I think about it, you know, more broadly? So I do think that you're right. Prioritization and measurement are the two, I think, keys to being able to get stuff done. Amazing. So I think that's a good segue to talk about some of the work that you've overseen in your tenure as CMO of City. I'm thinking specifically of the True Name initiative, which I was saying before we started, I remember, I remember that when it came out, because I think it really stood out and it was really impactful for me that a brand like City would take a stand on something like mm. that. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that just because I think it's it's exciting as kind of a fan of that campaign to maybe get an inside look on how that came together and how it did for the business, but also a broader look at what's going on in the world of City as a brand and for you as CMO driving business growth in 2021. Yeah. Look, very few things, I think, in your life as a marketer come around where you kind of go, wow, that that's a moment, right? That's a moment in my career that I'm going to be really, really proud of. And I'm very incredibly proud of my team who led that effort. And it is so interesting, right? Because there's an insight around the the power of a name, you know? And I mean, think about when we first met, what's the first thing you say to me? Like, hi, Carla. I'm like, hi, Eric, right? Or you introduce yourself to somebody and you use your name. And for so many trans and non-binary people, they don't have that ability. They don't have a piece of ID that has their chosen name on it. And to go through that legal process is pretty cumbersome. And to not have something like that, number one, has such a profound impact on them personally, but there's also safety issues. And there's, there's a lot of issues that come along with that. And, you know, some of the data that we saw showed that almost 70% of trans and non-binary people don't have a piece of ID or anything with their chosen name. And so for us, it became really, really important because we have supported the LGBTQ plus community for years as city. It's one of our, you know, core values, and we feel like everyone needs to be heard and seen for who they are. And so this just was a natural thing to do in partnership with, with our partners at MasterCard. And so, you know, we're, we're very very excited about it. And it is one of those things to your point where sort of the right thing to do came along with the business. And so we've got over 10,000 people that have already signed up to change their names. 10,000 people. That may not seem like a lot of people in the world of billions, but man, you know, if we can just impact the life of one person and make them feel like they get that card and that is the name that they identify with, what an important role we're playing in their lives. So 10,000 people who have applied for it, and I think over 100,000 people that have gone to the website to just, you know, to at least have an inquiry to say, what is this all about? Whether it's someone who is just interested and has heard about it 
or whether it's someone who is thinking about changing to their chosen name. So I'm just incredibly proud of the team. And I think it just demonstrates city and our values and how, like I said earlier, we bring this notion of purpose and using our balance sheet for good to the business. So really, really excited about that. And and there's something I want to draw out of what you said, which I think is so important. City had supported the community for years. It was one of the values. It was a natural extension. Like, I think with purposeful marketing, but really I'd say just good marketing, it is often more about excavating and bringing to life through creative advertising who the brand already is rather than trying to come up with something new and forcing it in. So I think uh, you know a lot of successful campaigns, a lot of successful CMOs, I think you'll see that as a red thread and I'm throwing that out there for everybody listening because I think it's more, you know, you need to know what's going on outside and in the world of your audience, but then you need to connect that with what's already going on inside totally. in the world of the business and the brand. You you couldn't be more right, Eric. In fact, I would tell you that there's a lot of things that kind of that come our way where we can do good. And in some cases, we just say, look, that's not necessarily that those are bad things to do. They're just not necessarily A, aligned with our values, or B, more importantly, even if they are aligned with our values, something that we have invested in and stood by for years, right? And so to jump on a bandwagon or to, you know, say, oh, that's the issue du jour and we're going to go, you know, do something about that feels inauthentic. And so uh, many, many things that I've, it's been painful when I say to my team, no, that we can't support that. And not because it's not great, but because it's not one of our pillars. It's not our values. It's not something to your point that we have supported over time um, and that we authentically is a natural extension of some of the things, you know, that we've already done. And so I think, um, and that's why you'll see us with a lot of the things that we do, whether it's in the world of sustainability or whether it's the world of racial equity or even pay equity. It's something that we've always done. And now we're saying, hey, how can we talk about that? Or how can we you know, bring sort of a spotlight to it so other people can think about it? Because even if I think about this True Name initiative, the hope is not just that we do it. The hope is that others jump on it as well, yeah. right? The hope is that like we're not the only. Um, we may be the first, and sometimes we may be the first for several years. That's okay, right? But we're hoping to drive more progress in the world from the things that we do. And I, you know, I, we were talking about other examples. Pay equity is another example, actually, of, of of something that I'm very proud of. So a few years ago, when I first came to City, we had just published our raw unadjusted pay gap numbers. And, you know, we we had seen some numbers that we didn't like. And in fact, our, our CEO at the time said, these are kind of ugly numbers um, and that we don't want these numbers. And it was really kind of related to the fact that we did not have enough women in senior level positions. So, and in the US, African-American people in senior enough positions. And so it was bringing a median number down. And so we decided that we were going to do something about it. So to your point on measuring and prioritizing, it became a priority for us. And it was something that we were going to measure. And it, it ended up being something that we didn't just kind of, you know, keep to ourselves. We told the world about it, right? We told the world that here are our numbers. We're not happy with them. Here's what we're going to do about it. And then we created a campaign around it. Um, but the campaign was less about, you know, city and our perspective and point of view on pay equity. And it was more about trying to 
start to create a conversation in the cultural zeitgeist about pay equity in general. And I'm, you know, I can't tell you that because of that campaign, the whole world kind of all of a sudden has talked about pay equity. But I do know that, you know, particularly in our circles um, and, and in our industry, there's a lot of folks that have said, hey, good on you guys for doing that because it actually forced us to start to have that conversation as well internally. And I would tell you that, you know, that that is one effort where uh, we talk a lot about talent and recruiting. Uh, and there are so many people that have come to City and said, you know, the reason I want to take this interview, the reason I want to come work here is because you guys have made a statement about being serious about pay equity for women and certainly in the U.S. for um, Black colleagues and employees. And so I think that, again, you, you, you know, but, but we've always done that. And so as a result of that, it became a natural extension to do a campaign about it, right? As opposed to keep it as the secret and to spur a, a bigger conversation about pay equity. And we've since followed up, right? With, you know, public announcements of here's how we're measuring it. And here's what our progress is on that. And then, you know, this year we, uh, we partnered with the female cushion to do a pay equity calculator that was free, free for any company who wants to use it. You enter in like three or four numbers and it tells you, you know, what that impact is going to be to your business when you close the pay equity gap. So back to the notion that you said of authenticity, stay authentic. And I think the power is in being able to say no to more things than it is to being able to say yes. I'm curious. I'm, I'm guessing the answer is no because of how you talked about how all this stuff has come to life. But were there any challenges selling through these campaigns or pushing for this type of approach internally? If yes, would love to know how you handled that. If no, do you have any advice for people listening who might have those challenges internally? Yes. The answer is yes. 100% yes. And not because people didn't want us to talk about it, but because we had never talked about it. You know, I am so lucky to work at this place where we do the right thing always. Whether the spotlight is on us or not, we stick to our values, we're clear about what we stand for, and we just, we impact the world and we drive progress quietly. And so, you know, for me to come along and say, hey, I think we should talk about this stuff, right? Some people felt like it wasn't, you know, that's not who we are. We're not the, you know, stand in front of the world and tell everybody what we do. So yeah, I would say for sure, in some cases, people were like, well, well, are we going to be perceived as being like, you know, banging on our chest and saying how great we are. We just want to do the right thing. And so, you know, getting through that, I think, was a moment. And uh, I think there, you know, you've got to think about who in your organization, as if you're going through the same exact thing right now, who in your organization are the people that you can have become allies to what you're trying to do? And so, you know, really thoughtful, and you'll, you'll be surprised to find them in the weirdest of places, right? Like you may think that, you know, for example, you know, person X, because they're the loudest person is definitely the person to get on your side. But then you turn around and you go, listen, person Y, that person has so much influence in this company and they can kind of drive the agenda forward. So it's really about networking in the firm. For me, it was, and trying to figure out who are my allies, who are the folks that believe that we should be a little bit bolder, that are willing to take the risk with me on all these other things that we've done, and then and then engage them, get their perspectives, get their point of views, um, and then have them sell with me so I wasn't like doing it on my own. Um, but I think even in places where I never got a, I've never gotten a no, don't do that in the sense that that's the, you know, we, that's not something we do. It's, I've always gotten the like, well, we don't want to show off. 
right? And so, and I've kind of turned that conversation, I've tried to, and my team has, from this is not about showing off. This is about actually starting a broader conversation. It's about showing progress. And it's it actually ultimately is about impacting the business because the data is showing, and that's the other thing I would tell people, use the data. The data is showing increasingly that we are now at a tipping point where without having a point of view as a brand, people are walking away from you. And so we can't, we can no longer be quiet. So I would tell people two things. One, network and find those people that are going to be your allies. And two, take the emotionality and the subjectivity out of it and be very objective and data-driven about why what you're doing is the right thing to do. I think, you know, those two things, at least for me, have been foolproof. Amazing. So I know we don't have too much more time left. I want to make sure I get to ask you about any other advice that you have for people. But before we do that, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on in the next few minutes on either what's going on in the world of city, your philosophy on marketing, anything else that you wanted to bring up? Well, look, I mean, you're going to get me on my soapbox here, Eric, because, (laughs) (laughs) and I don't know how much time we have for this. Maybe it's another- Soapboxes (laughs) usually lead to good podcast content. So please step on up. Listen, maybe it's a different uh, conversation at a different day, but I do think that, you know, I have been for the last probably year, I've been really reflecting on- the notion that like probably five years ago, we started bifurcating performance marketing and brand marketing. Like we started saying like, are you a performance marketer who drives the business every day? Or are you a brand marketer who's sort of over here, like telling stories and, you know, nice stuff, like fluffy stuff, but we don't really know how to measure it. And I really feel like that is such a flawed way of thinking about our craft. Um, because the reality is that there's no other function like the function of marketing that can marry art and science together to drive the business. And so for me, it drives me nuts when I hear people say, well, I'm a performance marketer, because inherently what that means is if somebody grew up as a brand marketer, that they don't drive performance of the business. And vice versa, people will be like, well, I'm a brand marketer. And inherently what that means that in what they're saying is that if someone is data-driven and like, you know, and, and drives performance of the business, that they don't understand how to use their softer skills and build a brand. And that's just flawed. And so from my perspective, I've been like really trying to talk about how do we think about this notion of branded performance, right? You know, so, so that even when you're sending out an email or even when you're, you know, when it's about an offer or a product or a service, it's done with a brand voice. It's done maybe with additional content that says something about what the brand does and, and vice versa, right? When you're telling a story about the brand, you're using the data to think about where to place that content. You're thinking about, you know, so, so I just feel like for me, my philosophy is they've got to live together. They are both elements of the marketing mix. They're both tools. And you think about how to leverage one versus the other, depending on what your KPIs are, you know, in a given year uh, for a certain product. So that to me is is my soapbox, is is, uh, is how I think about it. I'm going to join you on that soapbox if there's space. <laughs> totally, come I, on over. I'm so passionate and obsessed about this one as well. Um, I think the only thing I would, I would build on with that is 
I think the, you know, if you're a marketer, if you're running teams, if you're building a business, you need to think about not just how paid and owned are integrated in what you do. You mentioned email campaigns or anything like that, but also the who. Yes. And the culture of the team that you're building. And I think almost every business, but particularly bigger ones, because I think that you see paid and owned and art and science much more married and balanced in startups and challenger businesses these days. So true. I think almost everybody could look at the talent that they have and the way that they set up their team to work together and the culture that they put them in to to marry those things a little bit more. 100%. 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. I think this is another topic for another podcast. Yeah, Eric. we'll have to do a spin-off a bonus episode. Um, amazing. Well, I do feel like we only scratched the surface, but I know we only have so much time. So last question, Carla, what other advice do you have for people listening? What are some of the lessons you've learned? What other words of wisdom can you leave us with today? Oh, goodness. Words of wisdom, I don't know, because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But I would tell you that there are definitely a few things that come to mind. Um, we use the word empathy earlier. And for me, I think that is the most underleveraged trait I think humans have. It's having a moment right now. Mm -hmm. It's having a moment. I think COVID really kind of um, brought to light that people who have uh, generally sort of empathic natures in and of themselves have been able to lead really well in times like this because they're, no, you know, they notice other people more and they're curious about others and they, they have the sort of patience, if you will, to put themselves in other people's shoes and try to understand where people are coming from. So it, it is having a moment right now, but I do think in general, the more that you can practice that, and I use that word practice because empathy is not, for some people it comes naturally and that's easier but for some it doesn't because to practice empathy is actually to be patient right because you've deliberately got to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and want to solve the problem the way that they might see it versus the way that you might see it which is you know it that takes a little bit of patience and so i would just say you know, practice empathy. You really, you really, really don't know what people are going through. Uh, you don't know how people solve problems differently than you do. And from my perspective, it just is, it's a trait that'll serve you really well, not just in leadership, quite frankly, but also look as a marketer, right? Like inherently our job is to think about what our consumer wants, what our customer wants, what our client wants, whether you're in a B2C or B2B or B2B2C business. And I just think that like how how can you be curious about what they think about and what they care about if you're not empathetic, right, to them? And so I think that's one that I would tell you empathy is, is a big one for me. Um, the other lesson learned, and again, this is another one that's going to be both a business and a personal one and a leadership one, is this notion of having a clear sense of purpose, whether it's a purpose about your brand, whether it's your own purpose. Like think about your own self. I mean, I, I deliberately chose to come work at City and not other companies when I was looking for my next role because of the values of City and because the firm would let me sort of work in the way that I could work and valued me as well, right? Like the values were in sync with each other. Our purposes were in sync with each other, if you will. So, so there's a little bit of that, you know, there's definitely the brand and the firm, the company purpose, but there also is your own purpose. Think about like what you want because that'll help you grow. So I think, I think that is a really, really important other kind of lesson that I've learned. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is, and it's more, this one's more practical and tactical, is we've got to be agile. 
Like we have got, as marketers, we have got to be agile. We are in a moment in time where the consumer mindset is shifting so quickly and not just because of the pandemic. Certainly the pandemic spurred it on and made it faster, but mindsets for people have been changing over the years and habits change and the way they you know live changes and the way they spend, the way they save, all of that. And so I just think that we've got to be agile. You know, it. it uh, I remember back in the day, we used to do, you know, three to five year plans. Well, I mean, today you can write a three to five year plan, but in three months you might be writing a different plan, right? Just based on what is going on around you. So we've got to think about how to be more innovative about shortening product cycles. We've got to think about how to be more innovative in how we deliver our campaigns and how quickly we deliver them. We have to think through even more than we do right now, how to think about real-time marketing. So there's a lot of things we've got to know how to pivot, right? When something different happens and we've got to shift immediately into a different world um, in terms of our marketing and our communication. So I think agility would be the third one that I would talk about. Agree with all of that 100%. I mean, uh, people can't see the video just listening, but I've been nodding along the whole time. And I think I would really recommend instead of me trying to say something in addition to what you said, everybody go back and listen to the last two minutes because there's there's a career's worth of uh, advice in there, I'd say. So very unfortunately, Carla, this wraps up today's episode. I wish we had more time, maybe another time. Me too. But thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and what you're doing at City? So I'm on LinkedIn. So people can find me there at Carla Zakam Hassan. I'm hyphenated on LinkedIn, but I think if you type in Carla Hassan, they can find me. I'm also on Twitter. I am on Instagram, but it's much more personal there. So you might see me doing a couple TikTok dances on there with my daughter. But <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, you know where to find us, 11FS.com. Don't forget to subscribe and please do leave us a review. Help us build some momentum in the second season. As always, you can reach me or the production team here, podcasts at 11FS.com, or you can find me or 11FS on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day, everyone.